Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Times Union reporter Philip Heilman. Today I'm joined by military reporter Joseph Doraskovich, who on Sunday released an in-depth look at the life and times of John McCain. Joe, 45 years ago Sunday, John McCain woke up in Jacksonville to start the rest of his life. Tell us about the story a little bit. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's an important story for the people of uh, Northeast Florida, especially in the military community. I mean, everybody knows about John McCain's life in uh, in the Senate and uh, in politics in general, but uh, a lot of people from around here don't exactly remember that he had a, a, a big part of his life took place here when he got back from being a POW in Vietnam. So that's basically where the story started, uh, you know, and from my standpoint, was there's a group in uh, on the west side at uh, what used to be Cecil Field who the group's trying to get a, a memorial in place, a national memorial for POWs, MIAs from the military uh, past. And uh, so doing a few stories on that, uh, the name John McCain came up over and over. He's pretty much the, the you know the most well-known POW from, who lived in the area at the time. His family lived here. He had uh, two adopted sons who lived here and, and a daughter with his first wife who were all here and part of the community while he was away in captivity in Vietnam. So that's where the story got started, and it's basically a tale of what he did while he was here and how he kind of got his life back together after coming home from captivity. Several years ago, John McCain said that Naval Air Station Cecil Field was a site of what he would uh, consider the most rewarding assignment of his naval career. Why do you think that was the case? Well, it was interesting. When he came back, he had never really been a leader. He was uh, from a Navy family. Both of his, his father and his grandfather were admirals in the Navy and uh, you know, well-known. You know, all, all three of them went to the Naval Academy. And John McCain was sort of known as a hotshot pilot when he got out of the academy he graduated from the academy pretty close to the bottom of the class and got out went to flight school and the McCain name you know uh, was was very well known back then and he was you know all he wanted to do was fly and have a good time and and you know live a you know successful navy life so then he goes to Vietnam and is eventually captured and he spends five and a half years in captivity, and when he came back, he was still, you know, still had that same reputation, um, you know, hotshot pilot, um, you know, Navy guy, but but never had led anywhere. And so this is where he learned to take command and where to he learned to be in control of people. And and so first he had to learn to fly again. He had flown A4 aircraft uh, before, and that's what he was in when he crashed in Vietnam. And so when he got here, the squadron that he was in was VA-174 out at Cecil Field, and they flew A-7s. So he had never flown in one of those before, so he had to pretty much learn a whole new aircraft and, and how to fly it. And a lot of the injuries that he had prevented him from doing certain things that you needed to do in that particular aircraft. For instance, his 
um, injuries to his arms made it so he couldn't reach the ejection handle above his head in the aircraft, which, you know, that would be a red flag for anyone who's you know, trying to learn them. But, uh, but the thing with the instructors, they realized that John McCain was simply learning to fly the aircraft because he was one day, you know, logically, he was going to one day be in control of the squadron. And so he went from uh, a student who learned the A-7 to then eventually he became the executive officer of the squadron. So that meant he was second in command behind the, the commanding officer. And then in 1976, he became the commanding officer of the squadron where he was in control. He was leading all these different people and actually turned around what had been considered a mediocre squadron and uh, turned him into a, an award-winning squadron in his, in his times in control. Now, John McCain today is 81 years old and was diagnosed last year with an aggressive form of brain cancer. And you were not able to talk to him for the story, but you were able to talk to two of his sons former doctor, several of his Navy colleagues. What were some of those stories that they shared that you uh, that stuck with you uh, throughout your time reporting the story? Yeah, well, it was interesting because I, I, first I reached out to the people who were trying to do the, the memorial out at Cecil Field and, and asked them if they could you know, point me in the right direction on some, some local people who might be able to go down memory lane with me and talk about their relationship with John McCain. So they first put me in, uh, in touch with uh, a former admiral who uh michael johnson is his name and he was the one who pretty much taught mccain to fly the a7 and he had all kinds of stories from you know parties at a beach house to um you know tough love that you know he had to kind of you know be stern at times so that was interesting to get you know the kind of the military perspective but then i talked to both andy and doug mccain who are his uh two adopted sons from his first marriage with carol mccain and they were able to give me, um, you know, insight into the family life and what it was like, you know, at first missing your uh, father when he was a prisoner of war. And then what it was like getting that family dynamic back once he returned. So that was interesting. And then I started talking to just enlisted men and women who were in the squadron. I, I talked to, you know, his family doctor who was actually an old longtime friend. But one story that stuck out was one of the, the people in the squadron had tonsillitis throughout his life and his family doctors growing up told him you know hey you're gonna you're gonna outgrow this you know you don't need to have your tonsils removed it's kind of a it was an en vogue thing back then to have you know take everyone's tonsils out left and right that was just what they did so when this particular man made it into the the squadron the there was a navy doctor who was chasing him around trying to get him to get his tonsils removed and and the guy that was the last thing he wanted he, he did not want to have his tonsils removed so, long story short, the the guy gets called into McCain's office. He sees walking up to the to the room that in the office with McCain is that doctor who had been chasing him around. So he knew right away he was he was toast. He thought he was he was up the creek without a paddle because he thought he was going to walk in and McCain was saying going to tell him, "Hey, this doctor thinks you should have your tonsils out." You know, he was going to he he envisioned himself on the operating table right away but that was completely the opposite of what happened he walked in mccain let him tell his side of the story told about how family doctors told him he was going to outgrow the tonsillitis he didn't think that he needed to have him out gave all legitimate reasons and mccain told him okay go wait outside while uh while i talk to the doctor so the man goes outside but he went to close the door behind him 
And McCain said, hey, no, leave that door open. And so he did. He waited in the waiting room. And while he was in the waiting room, McCain pretty much ripped into the doctor and told the doctor, hey, if you ever threaten any of my men like this again, if you, you know, do anything that, you know, is going to, that's not life or death, you know, if you, you know, obviously operate on who needs to be operated on. But this particular guy didn't feel like he needed his tonsils out. It wasn't infecting the way that the squadron was uh, being run. And so McCain let the guy have it. And then so the doctor leaves, uh, according to the, the guy, the doctor left with his tail between his legs. And McCain asked the, the guy, he said, hey, are you satisfied? And, you know, that's a story that's going to live with the guy for the rest of his life. And by the way, he still has his tonsils to this day. So happy, wow. happy ending there, yeah. So Senator McCain certainly had a stern, pragmatic side, but you wrote that he also knew how to be the life of a party back in the day. Yeah, yeah, no, he definitely did. Talking to, uh, you know, personally, if I could get in a time machine right now, it would be, uh, it would be pretty interesting to go back and spend time with John McCain back in the 70s when he was rebuilding his life, um, you know, both socially and uh, his Navy career. And that was one of the things uh, retired Admiral Johnson uh, told me was a, a neat story about how they would have luau's out at uh, John McCain's beach house in South Ponte Vedra. And it was really entertaining because back then, the you know, in the years following the Vietnam War, um, the squadron that McCain was in charge of was, um, you know, a replacement air group where they were training people to go on, uh, you know, deployments on carriers and things like that. But as they were downsizing the military, uh, flight hours were at a premium. It was hard to, you know, get everything you needed to do and, and, and you know, move on with your Navy career. So McCain would kind of make things interesting. He'd say, hey, we're going to have a party this weekend. And he would send one guy up to, to Maine to, to fill his drop tank up with uh, with lobsters. He'd send one guy out to uh, west of the Mississippi so that he could get um, Coors beer. It was only sold you know, out in the Rockies at the time. So someone would go get a bunch of Coors beer. He would send someone to Yuma, Arizona to get nachos and cheese and everything. And then they would all meet back at, the, uh, at Cecil Field with all the party supplies. And then so they all knew that that weekend they were going to be, you know, letting their hair down and, and having a good time out at the McCain beach house. And it was just a way that McCain, you know, kept the morale high. He, he kept all the, all the people in his squad, um, you know, kept them happy, kept them motivated. And, uh, everyone I talked to seemed to think that it was a, it was a, it was a successful way to do it. He, he really kept everybody's spirits high and, and, but also was a, a, a firm leader at times when he needed to be. Certainly an interesting story. Again, the, the story published in Sunday's Times Union. It's available to be read online at jacksonville.com or can be found in the Florida Times Union archives, probably somewhere on a newsstand still today, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I passed one at the uh, the local gas station the other day, and uh, there it was. So, so yeah, go pick one up or check it out on online if you want to. Great. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us today, and we, uh, we really enjoyed the story. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.